A victim never created anything. It was always someone that said, I'm going to engage with life. I'm going to participate in life. I'm going to live life. And that's why we call this series Live Life on Offense. And so in many ways, this is just a manifesto calling you to actually live. And where does that start? It starts today. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Let me ask you a question. Do you happen to life or does life happen to you? Now, maybe you are currently operating from the posture of a victim and you feel like life, leadership, business, circumstance, the economy, the weather, everything is happening to you. Or maybe you're someone that is really bolstered up on personal growth, leadership, uh, just the hustle mentality culture of today. And you say, no, I reject that idea. I am happening to life. And what I would like to present to you in today's episode, which is part two in this series called Get on Offense, is a third option. One of the things that one of our coaches on our team, Olivia, has taught me is that anytime anyone gives you two options, you should always have the guts to ask, what's the third option? And I think so often, whenever we look at our business, whenever we look at our life, we often think that we're given these two options. And it looks like the path of the victim, life is happening to me, or the path of willpower, I am happening to life. And the case that I'd like to make to you as we step into part two is that there is a third option. This is a concept that I actually learned from Eugene Peterson. He's now passed away, which is just so sad, but he was such a brilliant pastor, theologian, thought leader in so many ways. And he talks about this idea of the middle voice in his book, The Pastor, which is his memoir, and also The Contemplative Pastor. I will tell you that the book, The Contemplative Pastor, although it is written for those in a ministry context, it was an incredible business book for me and really uh, laid some of the core foundations for what it means to practice healthy growth and live with that type of attitude and mindset, both personally but also organizationally. And it was in that book that I first learned about this idea of the third path, of the middle voice. Because what Eugene Peterson lays out is that in our modern languages, specifically in English, we kind of have two voices. We have the passive voice, this happened to me. It was that we were the recipient of circumstance, of the world, of the economy, of the weather. It's this happened to me. Or we have the active voice, I happened to this. And it's where we are imposing our will on the thing coming to be. And certainly because that's our language, well, one of the things we teach about all the time on here is that language creates culture. And therefore, culturally, we kind of operate with those two lenses. It happened to me, I'm a victim, or I happened to it, it's my will that makes the difference. And 
what he lays out in the book that's just so profound and so powerful, and honestly, it was a paradigm shift for me, is he says that in the original languages of the Bible, the, the Greek, the Aramaic, the Hebrew, he says that one of the things you need to understand is that in those languages, there's a tense, there's a voice that he would call the middle voice. And we don't really have a way to accommodate for it in the English language, so it's actually very hard to describe. But it's not life happened to me. It's not I happened to life. It's something more like I am an active participant in the creation of. And I love that idea because I think it's healthy. And the reason why I think it's healthy is because it aligns with my experience of reality. Because there are a lot of business and leadership teachers out there that would teach you and that would advise you to say, you need to have this attitude of you are going to impose your will on the world around you. And uh, I mean, what's crazy is if you do have that attitude, it can create some results, but it can also create some devastating after effect for your soul and for other people because it's not aligned with reality. It's not just that you can will anything into existence. I, I hope this isn't a newsflash for you, but that's not real. You can't just will anything you want to happen to happen. And I don't even think it should be that way. But at the same time, we all kind of know, okay, well, it's not helpful. It's not healthy. And it's also not real that I don't have any role to play. It's not just this nihilistic idea of, oh, circumstance, oh, the economy, oh, the weather, woe is me. I'm this passive, immobile victim that doesn't get to play any role in the world and how it's shaped. And so what do you want to be? You don't want to be a victim. You don't want to be this prideful, egotistical, willpower-fueled fool. So what do you want to be? Well, you want to be an active participant. You are actively participating in the creation of what is real. And that's healthy because it's real, but it's also so cool because it says that I don't know exactly how this is all going to turn out, but I do know that my inputs do help contribute to the output that we end up with. And that's just wild. And I think it speaks to the idea through a healthy lens that we've been talking about, about getting on offense. Because getting on offense, ultimately, if we're going to look at it through the lens of practicing healthy growth, is not you imposing your will on the world around you. It's you playing the role of an active participant. But it's you saying, I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to be engaged. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to shift my weight from my heels, where I'm reacting to life, to my toes, where I'm leading in life. And so it's in that context that if you haven't already listened to episode one, I would recommend you do that because we talked about why it matters to get on offense and why it matters and why it makes sense for you as a person, but also as a leader and as a business to operate from this posture of being on offense is because of opportunity, risk, struggle, creativity, and faith. And we laid out all of those reasons in episode one of this series. And then we also talked about three actions that you can take to make sure that you are responsibly being an active participant. Number one was instill a routine that stewards the things you can control. Responsibility is what we're talking about here. And think about that responsibility, the ability to respond. 
So what are the things that you actually do have the ability to exert your will on and modify? And are you participating in those things? And we gave you a bunch of different things that you can focus on. Then we also said that you should pay attention as a business leader to the industry, the economy, your numbers, your people, your customers, consumer trends, your expenses, receivables. And this aligns directly with the idea we just talked about because if you're just someone that is brashly imposing your will on the world around you, you don't need to pay attention really because all that matters is your will. But if you're going to have humility to recognize, no, I don't get to change the world to fit my circumstances. I have to operate in accordance with the world around me. Well, then you have a vested interest in paying attention to all of those different things. And we lay that out more in that first episode. And then finally, we drove into the business idea of making and testing predictions. And we illustrated the Jim Collins principle of musket balls versus cannonballs. And so from that first episode, the other thing that I wanted to make sure we addressed within this series was the blockers. Because so often I find myself believing logically that I should be living life and leading my business on offense. But if I'm not careful, I find myself sinking and slipping into a reactive mindset, to a survival mode posture, and to a position and to a paradigm that looks more like playing defense than playing offense. And so I just want to walk through a handful of blockers that if you don't deal with these, they're going to force you to play defense. And one of the things we talked about in the first episode that applies to this as well is that you can delay losing the game on defense, but you cannot win the game on defense. Eventually, if you want to win, you've got to get on offense. And so it's with that foundation that we're going to step into six blockers that will keep you from getting on offense. And I would even tell you, if you submit to them and surrender to them, will force you into a posture of being on defense. The first one is a scarcity mindset. This is someone that believes that everything is a zero-sum game. Everything is comparison and competition and if you're operating with a scarcity mindset, you're more obsessed with protecting the tangible than pursuing the possible. I'm going to say that again because I think it's really important. You know you're operating from a scarcity mindset if you've become more obsessed with protecting the tangible than pursuing the possible. I find that when I am subscribing to scarcity, I am thinking way more about how do I just make sure I protect everything that I've done and I stop thinking about how do I pursue what could be. And that is rooted in what I believe to be faulty but also really depressing thinking because what that is ultimately rooted in is this idea that the peak, the best that can happen, already has. But what I know to be true is that the most abundance-minded thinkers, the people that are stepping forward courageously and with hope and optimism and faith, well, those people, number one, I would call them leaders, but something they all have in common is this internalized conviction that the best is yet to come. And if you've lost that conviction, you can't help but operate with a scarcity mindset because you've got to protect what was instead of pursuing what could be. Now, it's worth saying that part of stewardship is protecting what you've been given under your authority to 
guard and cultivate right now. So I'm not saying abandon your current responsibilities. What I'm saying is that the reason you've been given those, think about the parable of the talents, is to invest them to create a better future for yourself and others. And that's really, I think, at the crux of why this really matters is an abundance mindset is one that's rooted in the idea that resources are available on overflow. And we don't need more resources. We need more resourcefulness to maximize what we do with what we have. And the motive for that is always so that others benefit. It's so that others can experience the overflow of all this. And you can't serve from a posture of scarcity. It was interesting. As I was writing this content, I was going through Proverbs 3, and I read uh, just a handful of verses that really stood out. So I'm going to pull those up real quick. It's Proverbs 3, 21. Let's do 21 through 27. It says, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So it's saying operate from a posture of wisdom. Now, Tim Keller would describe wisdom as competence with regard to the realities of life. So that's what we're talking about here. Uh, And if you keep those things, they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. So already, this is language that is hinting at the opposite of scarcity, which is abundance. Life for your soul, adornment for your neck. We're talking about a life that is rich. We're talking about a life that is overflowing. We're talking about a life that is abundant. Then you will walk on your way securely. So if we pay attention to wisdom, and if we do the right thing, and if we operate with a sense of competence as it relates to the realities of life, well, then we should have a sense of security about us. I mean, this is actually pretty important to point out. If you're doing wrong things that result in you lacking character or lacking integrity, you should not expect to operate with an abundance mindset. You should be extremely afraid. You should be extremely scared, right? Now, what I'm not talking about here is perfection. I'm talking about commitment, though. If you're doing things that are actively unwise, you shouldn't be surprised whenever you feel deeply paranoid and insecure. But if you're doing things that are wise, if you are doing the best you can with the resources you have, and you are operating with an integrated sense of internal alignment, well, then you should know that what the Bible says is you will walk in your way securely. And you don't have a reason to be insecure. You don't have a reason to be paranoid. You don't have a reason to be obsessed with this scarcity of only protecting what you've done in the past. And you should be able to walk with a sense of confidence into the uncertain future. It goes on. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. I know that one of the lagging indicators of a scarcity mindset for me personally is not being able to sleep well. Without a shadow of a doubt, if I'm currently under the shadow of a scarcity mindset, one of the biggest things that that results in tangibly is worry. And I I stop planning towards the future. I just start worrying about protecting and worrying about worst case scenario. And worry is the thing that will keep me up at night. Or if I wake up in the middle of the night, it's the thing that will keep me awake if I, I wake up in the middle of the night. And what's so cool is this is saying like, man, if, if you're operating in wisdom, 
if you're being a person of integrity and character, if you're following God's best for your life and the rules and commands that he's given you and the lanes that he's given you to walk in, well, then if you lie down, you will not be afraid. And so if you are being wise and operating in integrity, recognize that you don't have a reason to be afraid. You don't have a reason to sit up in the middle of the night worrying. Create a plan. And once you create a plan, stop worrying about it, right? And that's so powerful because that's such a good promise to be able to hold on to is that I don't need to worry. I don't need to be anxious. It says, when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Yeah. I mean, the people that I know that are operating from a posture of abundance, they sleep very well. And as a result, they have more abundance to bring whenever they're awake too. So it creates this virtuous cycle that's just incredible. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. You know, scarcity mindset looks like perceiving all of life through the lens of the worst case scenario. And not only is that not helpful, it's also not very true. Because whenever in your life has all of the worst possible things that could have happened happened all at once, it, I mean, it's rare if never. It's never happened to me where everything terrible that could happen did all at once. It's never happened. But sometimes whenever I get really worked up in my mind, I start telling myself this story of everything terrible that could happen might happen and it might happen all at the same time. And so I'm doing exactly what it tells us not to do. I'm being afraid of sudden terror. I'm being a, afraid of my entire world falling apart. And what the Bible is telling me is it's saying that's operating from a posture of anxious, worry-filled scarcity, and it's not operating from the posture of abundance. What does verse 26 say? For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from getting caught. So if we have a sense of confident, abundant security, well, number one, we need to ask, where's that confidence coming from? I know you may not believe what I believe, but I will tell you the only source of sustainable confidence I've ever found is putting my confidence in God, putting my confidence into something that is so much bigger, greater, and grander than myself, and knowing that he has said he will never leave me or forsake me. And it's out of that posture of confidence that as long as I'm living in alignment with that belief, I can move forward in abundance, and therefore, I don't have to be afraid of everything that could go wrong going wrong all at once. Because it says that we shouldn't be afraid of that because it says that the Lord is protecting us, and he's in control, and he's omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent. Now, does this say that bad things won't happen? It does not say that. I mean, that doesn't it really doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. So if someone is reading you that version of the Bible, you should be very skeptical, right? It's not saying that bad things won't happen. It's saying that you will be equipped and able to deal with them because you are connected to God and you are walking in upright integrity. Verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. If you have a scarcity mindset, you can't be very generous because you're so obsessed with protecting what is, why on earth would you give anything away? 
And yes, we could be talking about uh, uh, finances there, financial generosity, but we could also be talking about just affirmations and compliments and saying nice things to people and good deeds. If you think everything is limited and finite and there's only a certain amount of resources in terms of energy and positivity that you have and finances that you have access to and ideas and creativity, well, if it's limited and finite, you got to protect your own and you can't worry about other people. But here's what I believe is I believe we serve an unlimited God. And I believe that ideas are a dime a dozen. I believe that uh, you can always make more money. And I believe that creativity is literally rooted in the idea that there's always more to create. And so therefore, people with an abundance mindset are the most generous people on the planet. And they just give stuff away. They just share everything that they have. And and they don't withhold good, right? They don't say, oh, I, I need to hold on to this because if I share this and if I give this away, then there won't be any more left for me in the future. So scarcity creates selfishness. Abundance always operates from a posture of humility. And it's kind of chicken and the egg. Does humility create the abundance or does abundance create the humility? The answer is probably yes, But one of the blockers to getting on offense is you operating with a scarcity mindset. And again, if you want to go look at the section that I just read from, it's Proverbs 3, 21 through 27. Okay, let's keep going. Unrealistic expectations is another blocker. We teach this principle all the time. Unspoken expectations are front-loaded resentment. And a lot of times when I teach that principle, I'm talking about leaders working with their teams and just really focusing on the idea that If you're not properly setting expectations and documenting those expectations, then you shouldn't be surprised when you're upset that people can't meet what you never talked about. But here's what I want to talk about as it relates to this episode is what about the expectations that you're setting for yourself? Sometimes I think we don't voice these expectations, but we mentally operate with the expectations of like, everything's going to be all good. And we just think that everything is going to be up and to the right. There's going to be no crisis and no turmoil. And I will tell you, those people that operated with that belief that everything's all good and everything's going to be all good, those are the people that, man, when COVID came around, they were crushed because suddenly reality completely and utterly contradicted their expectations. But let's move from COVID now to where we're at today. If you think that everything's all good and everything's going to continue to be all good and there's not going to be any crisis and man, we got through COVID and that's going to be the hardest thing we have to deal with as a business and as a leader. Oh boy, you got another thing coming because what's realistic? Well, I mean, there's some geopolitical things that are kind of insane right now, specifically related to the naked aggression of Russia invading Ukraine and us kind of questioning what China is going to do about it. So that's pretty wild. Economically, inflation is hitting unprecedented numbers as it relates to the past 20 years. We are likely already in a recession or eventually we're going to be in a recession. It's just kind of a wait and see mode economically. And then culturally, well, I, I shouldn't be a newsflash to you that things are pretty divided right now. There is division in our country. Die vision. There are multiple visions about what this country should become, which we saw how that played out with the last presidential election. I don't have a ton of hope that things are going to be much better in 2024, and the midterms are probably going to be a little bit wild as well. 
Now you could look at me and say like, oh, you're such a Debbie Downer. No, I'm not a Debbie Downer. I'm just being realistic. I think things are going to be pretty wild and hairy over the course of the next three years as it relates to these three areas. And here's what I tell you. I hope it's not that way. But if it's not these three areas, it will be something else. And so instead of just getting blindsided and lopsided by crisis, what if you just said, man, tough things happen. Struggle happens. Suffering is part of life. And I don't want to be blindsided by it. I want to be prepared for it because then you're aligning your expectations with reality. If you're operating with some woo-woo, shallow version of positive psychology where you're just saying, everything's okay, everything's always going to be okay, and anything that refutes that narrative, I'm not going to pay attention to, oh boy, it is not going to go well with your soul because dissonance is created when your expectations differ from reality. But the converse of that principle is really helpful. Harmony is created for you and others when expectations align with reality. And the people that are going to be radically equipped to be an active participant, to be on offense with whatever is coming, are going to be the people that when crisis hits, whatever it is, they say, well, I don't know that I could have predicted this exactly, but I knew that something was going to happen, and I prepared to be able to deal with it. I expected it. What we're talking about here is realistic optimism. I don't want you to abandon optimism because optimism is related to hope and hope is rooted in faith. But I also, in the pursuit of faith and hope and optimism, I don't want you to abandon reality. And so it's a lot harder to live in both, but it's way more healthy and it's way more effective. And it represents you leading on offense, but unrealistic expectations will block you from doing that. Number three, willful blindness. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this because uh, we already kind of addressed this in the previous two. Listen to this real quick. Our proclivity for security can cause us to live in denial of our insecurity. And what I'm talking about here is us missing or being unaware of the chinks in our armor. Some of us have such a need to believe that we are secure with regard to our business or with regard to our personal life that the truth about our insecurity is too inconvenient for us to even handle. And so therefore, it would be way easier to just live in denial of it. And that's not really helpful. This is why on a quarterly basis, one of the things that we do as a leadership team within our business is we say, what are the threats that are currently facing our business as it stands today? And we have every individual leader in the room write down on their own a list of threats that they see as it relates to their area and as it relates to their business as a whole of the things that could take us out, right? And then we come together and talk about them. Because those are the things that I, as a leader, I'll talk for myself personally, am most prone to avoid or to completely live in denial of out of strict, willful blindness. Listen to me. You are a human being, and therefore you have this unique capacity for self-deception. You have the capacity to not see things that are too uncomfortable for you to see. 
And if you are someone that really rests in security, then you will be tempted to not talk about or look at things that represent insecurity. That's not helpful. And so choose not to be willfully blind because if you decide to see the things that are real, well, then you can be about the business of working on them. You will never conquer what you don't confront. You will never fix what you refuse to see. But the minute you look at it, you know what happens? It becomes way less scary and you can actually deal with it as an active participant. The third blocker is willful blindness. The fourth blocker is improper fear. A lot of times, the reason why we don't wade into the uncertain future, why we don't focus on growing our business, why we don't focus on taking risks, why we don't focus on stepping into new projects, why we don't launch any new products or services is because in the area of what is known and ordered and consistent, we feel a high degree of control. And in the area that is uncertain and that feels chaotic and that looks creative, there's not much control that we have over what happens there. And so our fear becomes a fear of lacking control. (laughs) And I laugh at that because I just think it's funny. You think you're in control. And uh, one of the things that I constantly have to be humbled by is this awareness of, okay, I am an active participant, but I am not totally in control. And my belief system says that there is a God who is in control. So improper fear is this fear of losing control over things because that means that I'm thinking that I actually have control over all things. And in reality, there's such a limited number of things that I actually have control over. And all of those things are like really close to me, right? My attitude, my words, my actions, my thoughts, my habits. I can control those on a good day. But beyond that, I don't really actually control much at all. And if I'm deluding myself into thinking I do, well, then of course I'm going to be afraid of losing that control. So what do we need to be afraid of? Well, Proverbs 1.7 says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, this isn't fear as in sudden terror like we talked about before, right? It's not that type of fear. The fear that this is talking about is deep-seated awe, reverence, and respect. Are you living in humble awareness of how big God is and in light of that, how small you are and just grateful for the fact that you have a role to play? Fear of the Lord is proper fear. Awe, reverence, respect, this sense of absolute wonder of the God that is in control of the universe. Are you trusting in the fact that he's in control of your business, of the economy, of the weather, of the geopolitical system, of what's going on with this product or service, of what's going on with the thing that you're launching, that he's in control of every outcome and that he is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent, all-seeing, all-knowing, and all-able, and that he will not leave you and forsake you. And if you live in reverence and respect of that, well, then you're, you're positioning your fear to be proper. And you say, okay, so then my responsibility is not to control every outcome. My responsibility is to follow what God told me to do. And then if you're wise, the question you start to ask is, okay, well, what did God tell me to do? And that's why it would probably be really good for you to have a rhythm for reading truth. 
Because it, it's what is God telling us to do, but it's also what did God tell you to do, right? He, I mean, he wrote it all down. That's the powerful thing about this book, that if you're a believer, you're like, man, we've got the rules and laws that he wants to write on the tablet of our heart with regard to what is wisdom and what is faithful, integrity-filled, character-driven life look like, are we attending to it? But improper fear, fear of losing control, it's a blocker to living on offense. Let's do two more. Lack of preparedness. If you are deeply concerned about your business's survival or your personal survival, you won't have any time or energy or ability to focus on service. I'm going to say it again. If you're obsessed with survival, you can't focus on service. And so one of the things that you can do to be able to actively be a participant, to live and lead on offense, is make sure you're prepared. Make sure you're prepared financially and that you've got an emergency fund. Make sure that in your business, you know your numbers. And in light of knowing your numbers, make sure you're creating a retained earnings account with three to six months of operating expenses set aside, right? Because if you're not prepared for financial ups and downs that will inevitably happen, well, when the down occurs, you are going to have to focus entirely on survival and you're not going to be able to be service-oriented at all, right? Like you, you can't not be selfish in that case. But it's the people that say, okay, well, I'm operating from a posture of security. I'm operating from a posture of preparedness. And that when crisis hits, they don't just have to say, oh my gosh, how do we get by? How do we keep the doors open? How do we keep the lights on? They're able to lift their eyes above and say, how do we serve people? Because people really need help right now. And that goes along with an abundance mentality. Some people don't have the luxury of an abundance mentality though, because they're not prepared. And that connects to the proverb we talked about earlier of, are you living in accordance with wisdom right now? Are you and is your business living beneath its means? And if you, I mean, if you aren't, then you're setting yourself up to, to not be able to be on offense in the future. So be prepared. Finally, the, the blocker that gets in the way of being on offense. And this is probably the most deep-seated one, but I also think it's the one that affects all the others is identity issues. Here's the truth we need to remember. Your work is not who you are. Your work is where you serve. Remember that. And more than remembering it, believe that, internalize that. Your work is not who you are. Your work is where you serve. But I often get that fouled up. And I often disproportionately tie my actions and my performance to my identity. And I say, man, if our business is going up and to the right, and if everything's going great with our business, then I am good. And that's who I am. And that strategy works out pretty great as long as everything is up and to the right. But then the minute things point in a different direction, the minute we lose a customer, the minute I'm not able to make a sale, the minute I don't record a podcast that I was supposed to record, the minute that I flump a speech, the minute that I'm not effective in a meeting, the minute that happens, well, then my entire strategy falls apart because I've unrealistically tied my identity and my value and my worth to my work. And come on, it's like every time that happens, I'm like, dude, you did it again. What the heck? And so here's what I got to remember. 
you know, everyone says, oh, don't listen to the critics. Don't, don't pay attention to the critics. Okay, well, if I'm going to be intellectually honest and I'm not going to listen to the harshest critics, right, which I, I also think there's some critique you should listen to, but that's another podcast episode. If I'm not going to listen to my harshest critics, then I probably also shouldn't read or pay too much attention to the most adoring headlines. Because either side is allowing feedback to inform my identity. And what I need to remember is that my identity doesn't come from feedback. It doesn't come from other people's opinions. It doesn't come from some external performance metric or the way I was able to do in a specific area that day as it relates to certain things that we're measuring. My identity, my value is rooted in who I am as a son of the one true king. And this is what I want you to hear. Your value, your identity is rooted in who you are as a son or a daughter of the one true king. And it's in that that you have inherent value. And it's out of that posture of having inherent value that you get to go to work. You get to serve people. You get to do great things. You don't do great things so that you have value. You have value. And because you have value, you get to do great things. And that's something that I have to re-immerse myself in over and over and over again. But here's why this relates to this topic of getting on offense and being an active participant. We, in the first episode, equated offense to the topic of risk. And we said that it's necessary for a business leader to be able to take calculated measure risk as they step into an uncertain future and as they lead their business into an uncertain future because that's part of the gig as it relates to uncertainty. And also, let's be very real. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the assurance of things not seen. So faith in itself is risk. That's part of the gig. And if you say you want a life of faithful adventure, you can't say that and then say, I'm not willing to take a risk. But here's the deal. If you are tying your performance and your work to your identity, you are rendered unable to take a risk. Because it's not just a thing or an action failing. If you fail and you've tied all of this into your identity. It's not that it's just that was a failure. It is now you are a failure. Craig Rochelle says it best. He says that failure is an event. It's not a person. But man, if you have tied your work to your identity, then you have fallen for the lie that the failure of your actions creates failure in you. And therefore, you won't ever do anything that's uncertain because you can't risk it. And so you've got to remember and stay immersed and stay engaged in where does your identity come from? And that's not a set it and forget it thing. That's a daily, weekly, monthly reminder of where your identity comes from. And out of that, you're able to be an active participant in the reality that is being created. So we said that to be on offense is to shift our weight from our heels to our toes. And in the previous episode, we said that the reasons why it makes sense to get on offense is opportunity and risk and struggle and creativity and faith. And today we focus on the things that are going to keep you from doing it. A scarcity mindset, unrealistic expectations, willful blindness, improper fear, lack of preparedness, and identity issues. But y'all, here's what I really want to challenge you on outside of all this. 
is you have a choice that you can make. You can be a passive victim. And I really don't want that for you. Because if that's the case, then life is happening to you and you have zero agency. You have zero ability to determine the outcomes of the future and you don't get to participate. You're just watching it pass you by and the best that could happen probably already has. And therefore, instead of living, you're just existing. But what I want you to know is there is a better way. You get to shift your weight from your heels to your toes. You get to be an active participant. And what a joy. And my hope is that you recognize that and that you internalize that and you say, oh my gosh, there's this thing called life and none of it is certain, but I don't want any of it to be certain because there's relationships I can create and invest in. There's businesses that I can start and engage with. There's people that I can serve. There's opportunities that I can pursue. There's projects that we can create. There's products and services that we can launch. And all of that is only going to happen if I play the role of active, engaged participant. A victim never created anything. It was always someone that said, I'm going to engage with life. I'm going to participate in life. I'm going to live life. And that's why we call this series, Live Life on Offense. And so in many ways, this is just a manifesto calling you to actually live. And where does that start? It starts today. Eliminate the blockers. Choose to invest in a lifestyle and in actions, and in relationships, and in habits that are characterized by faith. And faith, as we already said, is the evidence of what is hoped for and the assurance of things that are unseen. That's what I want for you as you move forward today, and that's what I want for the people that you get to lead. Y'all, I hope that this content was helpful. If it was, there's two things that you could do for us. You could rate and review the podcast. That's always such a blessing to me and our team. We love seeing uh, what you think of the podcast, any feedback you have, and anything you want to hear more of on the podcast. That's always really, really helpful. And then also subscribe to the podcast because we upload this content on a weekly basis and we want to make sure it's coming straight to your feed. And we really appreciate you being subscribed. The other thing you can do if you want more content like it is subscribe to Worth It Wednesday. Uh, I really don't like email. That's no secret. Uh, And so whenever we said we're going to send an email, we said, okay, well, if we're going to send one, it better be worth it, worth your time and worth your energy. So every Wednesday, we send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. That's why we call it Worth It Wednesday. You can read it in under three minutes. And then we also send a video that elaborates more on the principle. Thank you to all of you who have already signed up for it. It's seriously, there's hundreds of y'all now, which is just so cool. And if you want to get on that list, you can sign up at the link that's in the show notes or at pathforgrowth.com. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.